You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Proverbs chapter 22. You can go ahead and turn Proverbs chapter 22. We'll just be dealing with with one verse, and, and I won't have you stand this evening just to, just to let you all turn there and, and as I go into this, one of the, one of the things that we do in Hummelake's class is we have a book written by a man named Haddon Robinson called uh, Expository Preaching, uh, Biblical Preaching actually in the art and craft of, of creating an expository message and, and delivering it. And uh, I won't go into the, the whole thing, all of the things that the book encompasses, but, but very early on in the book what it addresses is uh, that a preacher's responsibility is to answer three questions uh, in the process of preaching a sermon. And that is, what does it mean? What does the text mean? What does it say? Um, is it true? And then, what difference does it make? Yeah. And, and a good, we, we hear that all the time. We actually are, are very regularly exposed that here at Eastside. I mean, just this last Sunday, if you were paying attention at all to, to pastor's message, uh, young people, that was a very powerful message that you got to hear and um, it, it, followed, it followed that idea. He, he took Matthew 6.33 and, and he addressed, well, well, what does it say? What does it mean? And, and he showed you what it meant to, to seek first the kingdom of God and, and to seek his righteousness and, and what it looks like to do those things and for all of it to be added unto you. And then he actually skipped to the third question and showed what difference it makes and, and gave you example after example uh, and, and illustration after illustration to represent the idea that, that God has first claim on your life and, and when you take that from him, you're a claim jumper. And that the reality of the situation, the difference that it could make is that it's not just about what God wants from you, but what God wants to do for you. Amen. As opposed to, to making those decisions to remove his claim and then you remove those benefits that you get to enjoy. And in doing so, he answers the second question and, and proves that, yeah, it's true. Every instance that you see that principle adhere to and played out, inarguably it's true. Yeah. And so tonight, um, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 22, and all we're going to be reading is verse number 6. So Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And again, I want to emphasize that it says he will not depart from it. And and because of that, that training and that background of how they've, how they've trained us to, to read Scripture and how to process it, I'll admit that, that, you know, what does it mean? I think for this verse wouldn't be something very, very difficult to, to go into, and we'll, we'll get into that as it comes. But one thing I struggled in particular with when reading this verse for what it says is, is that true? I mean, is it true? I mean, and I think a cursory response, if we're, if we're just thinking about it, we're thinking, well, yeah, it's in the Bible. Of course it's true. But, but really, really think about that for a second, in that you are, you are a parent that wants to train your child up in the, in the in, so that they follow the Lord on their own, and that they become exactly who he wants them to be, and that if you're faithful to do that, then they will not depart from it. And yet... There's some of us in here that would be able to say that is true. I already mentioned Dr. Hardy and, and Brother Samuel. I mean, that's a product of two generations of that principle being played out. I mean, it's true. Uh, pastor's parents were here this last week with assurance, and, and he would also be able to attest that that is true. But is it always true? 
Because I think some of us in here are also familiar with some of those situations where, you know, in spite of how hard some parents may have tried, in spite of how hard you may have tried, and, and in spite of how much you sought to seek to have God in your home and have a, have a, have a placehold in your home and, and to be involved in the lives of your children, in spite of that, why are there some kids who aren't here anymore? And there, there, I'm sure that there's faces that come into your mind when you think about that. And so when reading a passage like this, that's, that's why I say it's difficult for me to think, okay, is that really true? Because the text says that if they are trained in the way that they should go, it's an if, it seems to be an understood if-then statement, unconditional. If you train a child in the way that he should go, then when he is old, he will not depart from it. So why doesn't that seem to happen? And so I'm, I'm here to tell you you know, you know, I've never been a parent myself, and I, and I understand that it's a sensitive topic, and so that makes it a bit, it, it was a bit of a struggle for me to know how to phrase this, and I certainly want to, want to handle it correctly and be true to the text, but, uh, but I also just know that the unfortunate reality is even though I'm not a parent, I, I've, I've grown up, and, and I've, I've been in a youth department, and I've seen situations in one form or another um, where, where even Pastor and Brother Samuel, who are, who are at the same church, would be able to tell you that time and time again, there were some good, godly people in our church that did everything that they could to, to raise their children right. And, and in spite of how hard it seems that they tried, there was nothing that they could do, nothing that Pastor could do, nothing that anybody could do to keep them from getting up and walking out of the doors one last time and never looking back. And we've all seen those situations like that. And I'm sure at one point or another, we all, we all ask, what happened? What happens that causes that? If, if the Bible is true, why does that still happen in spite of that? And so tonight I kind of want to talk about that because I do want to, I want to submit to you that, that that verse is true. It's in the Bible. So, so thinking that, yes, it's true, it's in the Bible, that's correct. I, I strongly suggest that you, that you hold to that with everything that comes out of the Bible. But, but I believe by taking a closer look at it, we are going to be able to answer that question. What happened? And, and see why some of those things might happen. And the title of our sermon tonight is called The, the Discipline Dilemma. And I'm not usually one for subtitles. Pastor Gaddis back uh, in Oklahoma City rubbed off on me some. And so the subtitle is this, How the Best of Intentions Can Often Be Ruined by Basic Oversight. And it was something that as I read it and, and applied it to myself, I, I found it to be such a help to me in, 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 in restructuring how I do things and I, I hope to extend that blessing to you tonight as well. And, and that comes from looking at the first word in the verse, and that is training. So with that, let, let's take a look at a few points to assess this idea of training. And, and the first off would be that training is obviously going to be deliberate. Um, I think it, it would seem as though many haven't forgotten about my fascination with, with anatomy and uh, the human body. I have been reminded uh, more times than I thought would happen of my sermon last year about uh, my evident obsession with the pancreas, which is not true. It was my illustrative point, which, uh, you know, <laughs> it was an object lesson. I'm not sure if people remember what the sermon was about, but I'm at least encouraged by people that people remembered the pancreas part. But I do intend to kind of stick to that fascination that I have with, uh, with uh, just uh, physical uh, anatomy and physiology, I, I enjoy it. It's a, it's, a, it's a topic of a lot of fascination to me. You get to delve into just the intricate ways that God designed our bodies. Um, 
And so as, as such, I, I particularly am fond of physical fitness that, that appeals to me a lot. And as such, people ask me if I work out. And the answer is obviously. All, you know, 155 pounds of me that could, you know, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Arnold Schwarzenegger and the like. But, but anyways, as a result of my, my, my interest and fascination with those areas, people will often ask me if I work out. Uh, and I tell them no, actually. Um, I do exercise, but I very intentionally do not tell people that I work out. So we often use the term uh, workout and training interchangeably, although I, I must say that if you, if you look at them, they're very different. Um, working out is what a lot of people refer to as, as just simply doing a physical activity uh, to maintain your functional capacity. Um, a lot of us, you know, we wake up and we realize that we're aching somewhere that we didn't even know we had a place before. And, and, you know, that starts to spread and we get all achy. And so some of us will take up exercise to say like, okay, I don't want to be rendered useless. So we'll exercise to maintain our functionality. And, and sure, you can work out and, and increase the difficulty, but what you do, but when it comes to working out, the goals of working out are always very ambiguous. If you ever, if you ever take the time to, and you approach someone who says they work out, if you ask them, well, why do you work out? There's always some really vague response that they give you, such as, well, well, I just want to be healthy. And, well, I, I just, I just want to stay in shape. Or I want to get stronger. Or um, I want to uh, improve my mobility. Or, or things like that. And, and those are fine and all, but like I said, they're very, very vague and inspecific. Training, on the other hand, is a much more deliberate practice whenever you think about it. Um, it is, what it is, is it's a particularly planned process in order to achieve a very specific result. Um, Dr. Hardy's a runner. They have the, the Dave Hardy Invitational uh, 5K uh, down in Oklahoma City. And um, it's, it's because he runs and you have to train for a 5K. Marathon runners set incremental distances and, and what they do is they plan their trainings and their workouts, if you want to call them that, around the goal of eventually being able to run the full 26.2 miles that comes with running a marathon. When you have, you know, boxers in a boxing gym, they're not just kind of doing whatever to maintain physical fitness. What they're doing is they're training their agility, uh, their explosive movements, their core stability, um, and, and their technique in order, to, in order to go and win title fights. That's what they do. Um, if you watch the Olympics every four years when it comes on, any single person who ever qualified for the Olympics, and especially those who win gold medals, um, they didn't get there from just working out. They got there because they trained, and they trained for something specific. And so, so as opposed to working out for a general purpose, the reason why we train is that we have somewhere we'd like to be or a goal that we'd like to achieve. And the more specific the goal the tighter the guidelines and the parameters are going to be in order to reach that. So in terms of physical fitness, again, the, the objective, uh, the desired action or ability to function is going to specifically determine what types of exercises that you do in order to develop your body. There, there are many different types of exercises. There's plyometrics, isometrics, and those are all big fancy words that I'm not going to explain because they're not relevant, but they're, they're designed to target and develop only the muscles that are going to be beneficial to what you're trying to do. 
So, and this principle is played out even in physical therapy. Pastor in a couple of weeks is going to have uh, surgery on his shoulder to repair his rotator cuff. And, and during the recovery process, it's likely that he's going to have to retrain himself to use that shoulder. He's going to have to take time each and every day to, to exercise it. But I would think it should go without saying, but it's rather obvious that it won't do him much good for the recovery of his shoulder if he spends time exercising his legs or his core or even his other shoulder. It's not going to help this one. So again, that, that all goes to show that what, what we're looking at here is that your goal is going to determine the training that you follow. And so to stay true to the text, the same could be said of parenting. You know, if the goal is to produce good kids and it'll just work out, the word good is so subjective that realistically you could produce a lot of things that would meet someone's standard of good kids. Uh, if by good you meant law abiding, that, then that's one thing. If by good you meant uh, studious and diligent and good with their grades and good at school, then that's another thing. Um, if by good you mean sensitive to other people's emotions and that they're not offensive, then again, that's another thing. But if you want to train godly kids, then you can begin to maybe bear some specifics in mind. You know, first of all, you can ask yourself, are they saved? You know, are they faithful to church? You know, are they growing in the word? Are, are they being trained to be joyful givers? Are they recipients at what goes on at church or are they participants at what happens at church? And the, and the same goes for you personally as well, even if you may not be a child. If you've ever been uh, challenged by a message that, that pastors preach, um, his intent is to provide you with something specific enough to help you and to give you a goal to work towards in your own Christian life. And your potential to grow, then, is going to be determined by the specifics with which you set up your goal. And those specifics are provided through the preaching of the word and then the, the daily reading of the word. Right. Yeah. And so now you're probably thinking, well, well now what? We're kind of back where we started. If you, what you're saying then now is that if you set a training pattern, then by following it, you'll achieve the desired results, right? That's probably what you're thinking right now. But if that's what I'm saying, then... then I'm contradicting myself from what I said at the beginning because for some reason, particularly in, in what this text is dealing with and training up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he will not depart from it, you said that doesn't always work. So what are you trying to get at? To which I reply, we're getting there. So far, what we've, what we've determined is that what I'm trying to get across here is that a vast majority of people, and that includes Christians, in that training has been somewhat ill-defined in our, in our minds, and that definition needs to be corrected before we can move further. Training isn't just working out towards some ambiguous goal. It's a very, very specific process by which we uh, strive to achieve a goal. And so, you, unless you deliberately set specific goals for yourself or your children as you raise them, you can't possibly expect for the intended outcome to occur if you haven't allowed the parameters of that goal that we gain from the Word of God to dictate how you go about it. But even more so than improperly defining training is, is what I really want to get at, and that's what we incorrectly restrict training to. And I'd like to illustrate what I mean with a personal story. Now, my, my fascination with physical fitness and, and with all of that comes from my history in martial arts. I've done it for 14 years, and I enjoyed it a lot. I've been doing it since I think I was seven or eight but, and, and so I did, I participated, we had classes twice a week that we would go and we would learn techniques and we'd train and we'd condition and we'd do all of that. But I didn't really get, want to get serious about it until I was maybe 15 or 16. 
And so I decided, you know, I actually want to get really good at this. I'm, I'm a naturally scrawny guy by nature, so if someone wants to get into a scrap, I want to be able to at least hold my own. And so I decided to get more serious about the training, and I wanted to kick higher. I, I wanted to get stronger. I wanted my endurance to get better. And so I, I started training more, and, and you know, whenever we go to class, I'd train harder, and I, I'd be more deliberate with how I practiced the technique, and I would try to stretch more and more. But at a very... Actually, sooner than I thought, I hit this plateau, I hit this ceiling where I wasn't really getting any better. And what was extremely discouraging about it is at that point, I really wasn't even all that good. I mean, I was maybe average at best. And so I was really, really worried, like, man, am I even cut out for this? And so it was, it was hard because, because, you know, I trained my body until it hurt and, and you know, I'd be sore. And I, I thought I was doing something, but I wasn't getting more flexible. I could barely get my leg above my head. And it seemed to be so much of a struggle. And... And I could not figure out what to do in order to get better. And so for, actually for a, a situation that was completely unrelated to my training, I was going to the chiropractor and uh, I had some pain that I was experiencing in my lower back and, and he was, uh, he's uh, someone that our family's familiar with and so we were talking and I was telling him that I couldn't, I wasn't able to get any better and I didn't seem to be increasing my flexibility at all, my legs weren't getting stronger and he said, well, I can tell you right now the reason for that is because you walk funny. I kind of looked at him like, excuse you? <laughs> it's like, I walk funny. And he's like, well, yeah. And he actually, what he did was he took an x-ray of me. And that, um, it, what, what I discovered is, what we discovered is that what I was, what I had, part of my problem is that I suffer from what's called anterior pelvic tilt. Again, another big word, I'll explain. So basically, my hips were so tight that it caused all of my upper body to want to do this. And so my tips were, my hips were naturally tilted forward. And so I would overcompensate by doing this with my lower back. It looks strange. I'm over-exaggerating it, but bear with me. And as a result of that, because of this position that I was in, it was lengthening the muscles on the back of my leg where the, I was not going to get any more flexible because they were being pulled on already. And so I was, I was curious to know, like, man, I, I had no idea that, that this was a problem. And, and he said, well, I said, well, what, do I, like, what did I even do to do that? And he said, sitting. I was like, really? He said, it's because you sit down. That's what happens to people. Who, it's like a lot of people actually suffer from that because we have a, we have a culture and a society where, where a lot of us spend time you know, sitting at our, at our desk and we're doing work. And at that time, I was, I was in public school, so I was, I was sitting at my desk all day, eight hours a day, and so that actually taught me a very important lesson because that meant that something was training me more than my martial arts was. That's good. Yeah. Which means that even though I didn't think that sitting down was doing nothing, in reality what it was doing was it was affecting my position such that my martial arts training wasn't even having any effect. Right. Yep. And so, again, that, that reinforced to me that idea that you're, I, was, I was always being trained by something and that my body's default was to follow what was training me the most. And oftentimes I, I actually have this here, which is the dumbbell. It's what people use to exercise. And so let's say that you know, I wanted to, to exercise and, and to work toward a goal. What I think a lot of us do and what I caught myself doing is that I consider this training... But not this. 
this wasn't doing anything to me, at least in my mind. Yeah, that's good. But it was. Yes, sir. Let me set this here. I hope it doesn't scratch the pulpit. And so the reality of the situation is, if there's anything that I want you to walk away with tonight, and that's, that's this truth, is that you are always being trained by something, and you will follow what trains you the most. Like I said, my body was defaulting to what was training it the most, and that was not my martial arts training that was sitting down every day. And the reason I failed to see the results that I intended was because the training that I wanted to follow was being interfered with by something else that trained me more, and I wasn't even aware of it. And did you remember what, he, what the chiropractor said? He, said? he said I was walking funny. My posture was off. My foundation, which determined how my body should grow and, 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 and the ways in which it would grow, wasn't even aligned where it needed to be. I had been trained from a young age by my environment to hold a certain posture, so in some ways it followed me until, until I got older, and then I even desired to change it. So even though I did all the training, even though I did all the training for my martial arts right, and I tried over and over and over again to get better, I didn't begin to see the results until I took a step back and determined what I was doing outside of the training that was happening in the class. And I made the necessary adjustments not only to just correct my posture, but make, make every decision that came across my way with my time in class in mind. And, and that was significantly difficult because a lot of the time, I spent way more time outside of class than I did in class. And so that was an adjustment to my thinking that needed to come. What I needed to be was occupied by the goal. And it, and it changed how I sat. It changed how I used my free time outside of class. It resulted in a much larger reconstruction of how I used my time than I'd ever imagined. And now I, I go into all that to say this, I want you now to pull that out and apply it to our text. Yeah. Apply that to parenting. Apply it to yourself and apply that to our spiritual lives. The truth of the matter is that no matter where you are or what you are doing, you are always training or being trained by something. That's right. Beyond the specific things that we do to train and, and achieve our desired spiritual goals, what, whatever those may be, we have to realize that other things are constantly trying to train us as well. Just going to class twice a week and trying as hard as I could was not the key to successfully becoming proficient in my martial arts. It was being conscious of what was training me outside of class and, and making decisions for how I operated with my times in class in mind. And what was getting me was not my inability to do the right training, but to see how even something as simple as sitting affected it. And so what I think tends to get most people is that they believe that the, the dedicated times of training are what's going to sustain them, or what's going to produce the results, and those dedicated times alone. If church is considered the gym, then they're convinced that the three times per week is enough to establish the, the necessary work in order to achieve the goal of conforming to the image of Christ. And, as, and Christians will, will go to church, and, and they'll listen to preaching, and, and they'll sing in congregationals, they'll even sing in the choir, and they'll even tithe. But outside of the spiritual gym, when, when they go about their normal day-to-day, -day, what, do, what they don't do is a lot of this. And what they do is a lot of this. What we do is that we allow the, goal, the goals that they see and are striving for are completely interfered with, not just by those, those besetting sins and maybe those problems that we hit on as, as things that we need to correct in our lives that, that pull our attention away from God or, or things that we struggle with internally, 
but, but it's even interfered with by those things that we would consider harmless that we allow ourselves to indulge in on a daily basis. You know, I, I personally think of, of, of social media. I, I don't have it. And on one hand, I'm not necessarily morally opposed to it. Um, but, you know, I think it'd be clear to see even that, that social media has an agenda and that it wants, to, it wants to affect how you think. And that's not even just a political sense. I mean, there are scientific studies to prove that it's, it affects how you think and that it wants to condition you to constantly need new information passing before your eyes over and over and over again. And it affects your ability to focus and, and all of those things. And, e and even entertainment and the subtle things that, that you know, even if they're, they're you know, the, the wholesome Disney movies, uh, you know, even those have some sort of agenda that's kind of slipped in there that, that's either masked with comedy or harmlessness that, that's intended to subtly, subtly shift your attention away and, and it, it's training you to think something by, by rendering it harmless or, or seemingly not important. It's not training you. That's the perspective that it wants to create. And, and there are all things that in one way or another that could be considered harmless and, and you can't always prove that there's something sinful about an action necessarily, but it's certainly been proven by scientists that, that there's an agenda with these things. Yeah, that's right. And the inevitable truth that ties all of this to our text, because I, I, I do want to stay true to the text, is that what is training you and what you allow to train yourself and what you're not conscious of as far as what is training you is probably training your children as well. And I think a lot of Christian homes are affected by, you know, I'll use entertainment again. I was having a discussion with a friend of mine back at college and he wrote a research paper and he, his, his, his question was, I wonder how much it would affect the Christian home if families were gathered around an open Bible at the dinner table as much as they were around the TV. And he wasn't, even, he wasn't even advocating saying remove it completely because he couldn't argue that the TV was just bad, 100%. But he did challenge it and say, he said, since we consider it so harmless that when we do things such as read our Bible that we would consider the valid training, that it's completely being negated by those things that we consider harmless, that we don't even think are training us, but they are. So... Tonight, that, that's, that's, the, that's the truth that I want to leave you with, and I'm going to wrap this up, that rather than tonight, maybe even, if God's dealt with you specifically, you know, give it some prayer. But tonight, if, you're, if, if you have children that you're, you're worried, and, and in spite of your best intentions, you're thinking, man, I don't know if this is going to work. You know, I'm seeing some signs here that, that in spite of how hard I'm trying, there's something that is not connecting and I'm encouraging you to take a step back. And I'm going to ask you to do something unpopular. And that's take time to assess what is training your children. And that the culture considers it nosy. To be conscious of who their friends are and what they're looking at. And all those things that they're involved in their daily life. And you'll think, well, they're not listening to anything bad. Or they're not looking at anything bad. But again... Social media is very, very prominent, and I don't want to hammer on it specifically, but, but I, I have seen so many studies that, are, that aren't even spiritual in nature that shows how much of a detrimental impact that's had on our society. I mean, I'm just against it. But, but again, so th that may be the case for you tonight, to help you with your children. And this, I think this, what I pulled out from this was a help to me, and how I, how I had to take a step back and to see the things that were training me that I wasn't even aware of. That's what I took from it. And you could be in the same boat here tonight. Maybe your kids are up and gone. 
you know, and maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know, there's somewhere that I'd like to be. There's a, the series that pastor's been going through has really challenged me to grow in this particular area, but every single time I come back to church, what it feels like is that I'm being reminded how much of a failure I am because nothing I do seems to be working. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering tonight if maybe the problem isn't that you're failing to do the training properly, but that we're neglecting things that are just completely rendering it useless. And so tonight, during our invitation, if, if we'd all take a, take a time and every head bowed and every eye closed, um, tonight if God's dealt with you, I, I encourage you to, to pray. Samuel's gonna, Brother Samuel's going to be singing a song titled, uh, Search Me, O God. And, and ask God to really, to really search you and, and see, you know, God, what, what are some things that are training me that I might not even be aware of? What are some things that are in my home that are training my kids that I'm, that I'm not conscious of? Now, reveal those things to me and, and help me to know what necessary changes to make. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.